Uh, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have a handout, and I want everyone to have one. So you men, your wife is not going to be your secretary today. I want everybody to have their own. So as these guys come by, if you don't have one, yeah, why don't we start with the young men? Do all of you have a handout? All right, good. So they're going to come down your row. If you need one, uh, lift your hand. We want to make sure everyone has one. Next week um, begins our fair ministry. And the purpose of the fair ministry is to give people the gospel. And uh, so we're, we're going to be going through some things today. But before we get there, open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll start reading in verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Are you saved today? Are you a new creature in Christ? All things are made new. What a wonderful verse. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So if you're saved today, would you raise your hand? You know Jesus Christ is your Savior and heaven is your home. All right. Now let me ask you this question. How many of you have been given the ministry of reconciliation? Raise your hand. Interesting. Let's read this verse again. Verse 18. The Bible says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you came to God through Jesus Christ? You're, you're reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, let's look at the rest of the verse. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. How many of you are saved? Raise your hand. How many of you have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. How many of you have been given the ministry of reconciliation? That's much better. See, the idea is if you've been given the gift of eternal life, then God wants you to give that gift to someone else. That's God's plan. Now, let me ask you this question. Could God have moved from heaven and saved people against their will? Could God have done that? No, I understand there are people who believe that's what he does now. They're just wrong, okay? But that is not God's plan. God's plan is for God's people to take the gospel to the world. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's what the Bible says. That's what we are supposed to be doing. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. How does that work? Look at verse 19, to wit. That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So what does it mean to reconcile? It's to, to bring two warring parties together. The Bible says that before we're saved, we're at enmity with Christ. Enmity, that means at war. That we're at war with God. And so what happens is the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, reconciles us to God. That's what salvation is. All right? Then look at what it says. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What Jesus Christ did on the cross, was He was made to be sin for us. God treated Jesus on the cross the way I deserve to be treated. So He can treat me the way Jesus deserves to be treated. That's what salvation is. 
What an amazing thing. My sin was placed on Christ at the cross. And in return, I become an ambassador for Him. I represent Christ in the world. If you're a saved person, if you're born again, if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your eternal life, you are now a representative of Christ on this earth. And I'll tell you what, we behave better when we remember that. We do. We behave better when we remember that. Uh, I'll always tell the kids, especially Jacob, I'll say, doesn't Jacob look nice with his tie on, played the piano today? Look at his socks. I mean, you can see his socks down here. I think that's battery powered. I'm not sure. But I, I, now we joke about it. He says it to me. But I'd always say, be nice to everybody and remember your name. Now he says that to me when I go to Sunday school. I think he's worried about how I'm going to behave in Sunday school. But what is that? You're, well, Jake, when you go somewhere, you represent the altars. Don't make the family ashamed. How many of you, your parents said something like that to you somewhere along the way? Right? Yeah. Yeah, you're, whatever, you know, you're, you're a farrier. Behave like a farrier, Josh. You've ruined it, haven't you? You messed it up. We're ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. And we've been given a job to reconcile people to God through Jesus Christ. That's our job. Now, how do we do that? That's what we are going to do today. Get your hand out and let's look at it. Leading someone to Christ. Leading someone to Christ. There's a man, his name is Paul Washer. And um, he's a part of the Young Restless Reformed. Sounds like a soap opera, but it's, uh, it's this group of, of Calvinistic thinkers. And he preaches entire sermons against the plan of salvation. Isn't that interesting? It is sad. It's just sad because what we're going to do today is we're going to look at what the Bible says about how you receive eternal life. And all this does is it helps you to know how to give someone else the gospel. It helps you to explain the gospel to someone else. Um, I heard, uh, I think it was David Wood one time, someone said to him, well, I don't like your plan. And so David Wood said, well, what's your plan for leading someone to Christ? Well, I don't have one. He said, well, I like my plan better than your plan. (laughs) Amen? All right, so here it is. Number one, everyone have your hand out. Number one, teach him that we are all sinners. Now, let me do this before we get there. This, uh, this outline that we have here is specifically for the fair ministry. At the fair ministry, we'll have a booth set up at the Shelby County Fair, and there'll be uh, a game, and they'll spin it, and it'll land on something, and the little kids can, can win a prize. Um, Pastor Nathan, are, do, are, do we have that thing that you look into that asks the question? Okay, so they look into this, and it'll say, the, the thing on the top, the sign will say, a question millions cannot answer. And they'll look in the viewfinder, and they'll push the button, and it'll light up. If you died today, do you know for sure that, you're gonna, that you're go to, you would go to heaven? And so they do that, and then the worker is there beside them. How would you answer that question? If you died today, are you sure that you would go to heaven? Isn't that a great question to ask people? It's a great question. Um, if you were just talking with someone, this is not on your outline, you might want to write it down. Uh, you know, I have been around the gospel my entire life. My father was a preacher and church planter, literally grew up in church. 
I've known the gospel as my earliest memory. How many of you are that way? You, you, you've known the gospel since you were... They're your earliest memories. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, I didn't get saved until I was 15, but I've been around it all my life. And I remember when we moved to Tennessee, I went to Bible college in Tennessee. And, of course, everyone in Tennessee is a Baptist, or almost everyone. And you try and give them the gospel... And you'd say, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? They'd say, yes. And so then you follow that up with, why? Why do you believe that? Well, I'm a Baptist. My father's a deacon. My grandfather's a deacon. My great-grandfather's a deacon. What do you say then? Well, no, 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 you're not saved. It doesn't matter. It'll be confrontational. It's, it's a difficult way. And so it was always difficult for me because you can't get somebody saved until they're lost. Right? And so it was always difficult for me to actually get on the subject with someone. And so we were taught this. Well, I went to work for Dave McCracken in, in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And he taught us how to lead people to Christ. And it was so fantastic. He would say this. You're just talking to somebody. You're in a conversation. What's your church background? And this happened with me this week. I was on the driving range hitting golf balls. And another guy came up. He was the only guy there. And we were talking. And, and so I, I was able to ask him. Where do you go to church? And where do you work? He, he actually works for Ed Vermont. Um, he's in Ed Vermont's department at Honda. And so I was able to talk to him and invite him to church. And the way that you can get on the subject is, what's your church background? And they might say, well, I'm a Mormon. Well, it would be a really bad thing to look at that person and say, well, are you crazy? That's a cult. That's not a good way to have a conversation with somebody about the gospel. Amen. And so David Wood, I saw him on a tape, he said, well, they have a great choir. Whatever they tell you, find something positive to say. You know, somebody says that they're Mormon. Well, I appreciate what the Mormon church is trying to do for the family and the home. That's a good positive thing to say. And then give your testimony. So what's your church background? Well, I go to Holy Angels. I grew up at Holy Angels. And I would say... Uh, well, that's great. My mother grew up Catholic. Uh, I, I'm a Baptist. I, I go to Grace Baptist Church. And I, I really grew up in church, you know, just like you do apparently. You did apparently. And, but when I was about 15, I was at a meeting, and these young people were talking about what Jesus Christ was doing in their lives and the personal relationship that they had with Jesus Christ. And I, I remember sitting in that meeting, and I realized I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that night... I got down on my knees, and I asked Jesus Christ to save me. And now I know for sure that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I, did, I wasn't sure of that before that. Now I know for sure that I'm going to heaven when I die. How about you? If you died today, are you sure that you would go to heaven? Do you see how much of a... Uh, isn't that a better conversation than just confronting someone and saying, Hey, hi, what's your name? Chad. Chad, are you going to heaven or hell? Um, heaven. He'd probably say, I don't know, but anywhere away from you. <laughs> right? It's just, it's just an icebreaker to help you get on the conversation. So then you ask the person, uh, let's, let's look at this at, at our outline. You ask the person, do you know for sure that if you died today, you're going to heaven? If they say, yes, I know for sure, this is the follow-up question. So you're standing at the gates of heaven. And Jesus says, why should I let you in? Imagine if Jesus said, why should I let you in to my Father's heaven? What would you say? Now, if the person says, 
You're my Savior. I believe that you're the Son of God. I asked you to save me. I repented of my sins, and you're my Savior. Then what you're going to click off in your mind is what? Saved. Saved. They say, well, I believe in Jesus. I try to be a good person. I go to church. My parents grew up in church. I've always been in church. What are you saying in your mind? Lost. Lost. So what you do there is you give your testimony. Just a brief, quick testimony. And here's what I would challenge you to do. Write out your testimony and learn to give it in less than a minute. Now, how many of you, that would be difficult, considering everything God did in your life, to boil it down to one minute? That would be difficult. We're not asking for your life story. You know, some of you, it would be like war and peace, you know? It's just, yes, my testimony includes six volumes. That's a college course. Um, so try, do your best. Now, for myself, how many of you think that, honestly, there was more in my life that I went to a young person's meeting and, and, and received Christ? All that is, is the greatest advertisement in the world is a personal testimony for anything. That's why God gave you the ministry of reconciliation, because the best evidence for what he can do in a person's life is you. And you're standing in front of them. All right? So just boil your testimony down. Now, let me, let's review what I said about mine, especially if this is a person that goes to church. And there's a lot of religious people around here, right? Whether or not they go to church, you ask them what their church background is, they're going to give you some kind of a religious background for the most part. Remember what I said my testimony was. My testimony was, you know what? I grew up in church. Now, I don't tell them that my father was a pastor because when I say that, they, can, they can't relate to me anymore. So try to keep it general to relate to them. You know, I grew up in church too. I went to church all the time. When I was a young person, I was at a meeting. All these other people were talking about a personal relationship they had with Jesus Christ. I realized I didn't have that. And I wasn't sure that if I died that I would go to heaven. Well, that night I got that settled. And now I know for sure that I'm going to go to heaven. Can I take a minute and show you from the Bible what I learned that night? Can I take a minute and show you what someone showed me about how I can have eternal life? I very rarely had anyone say no. Very rarely. And so then, this is what we get into. Once you get to that point, and you're already at that point at the fair because they've looked at the question, you ask them the question, can you answer that? If you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Well, I'm not sure. That's a really good question, isn't it? Can I take just a minute and show you? from the Bible, how you can know for sure that you'd go to heaven, and you'll have the opportunity to do that. All right, so here we are. Number one, teach him that we are all sinners. Teach him that we, were, we are all sinners. Look at Romans chapter 3. Now, I recommend the little New Testament that I keep in my, in my car. Um, my ribbon is always at Romans 3. Because that's where I'm going to start talking with someone. And if you don't have this memorized, well, look at Romans 3.23. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You ought to write in the margin, right after that verse, Romans 6.23, because that's the next verse that you're going to go to. All right? So write that. So now before, we're not going to go to Romans 6.23 yet. Look at your outline. Number one, teach him that we are all sinners. That's Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right under, teach him that we are all sinners. Write this. Read the scripture twice. 
Read the Scripture twice. I'm going to say something amazing to you. You're not going to believe it. You ready for this? You do not save people. What saves people? The Word of God. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. People are saved by the Word of God. Read the Scripture twice. Get them to understand it. All right? For all of sin to come short of the glory of God. Now look at this. We have an illustration. Jumping the Miami River. Jumping the Miami River. So imagine you and I go down and we... Let's see. uh, Luke, come up here and help me. Looking good in your tie. Okay, I need you to get a little lower. No, that's right. Um, (laughs) So Luke and I go down to the Miami River... And so I'm talking to Luke, okay? I'm trying to give him the gospel. Luke, you and I go down to the Miami River, and we're both going to jump across. How's that going to work out? We're not going to make it, are we? Now, here's the deal. You're young. You're tall. You take, you know, three steps for every, you know, I take three for every one step of yours. You're going to make it farther than me. You're in better shape. We both run. I run as far as I can. I jump as far as I can. And about three feet later, I go in the water. You're in better shape. You go and you make it farther than I do. Michael Jordan comes down. Let's, he's old. LeBron James comes down there with us. Back to Ohio, everybody. How about that? LeBron James comes and he's going to go with us. Now, he's going to beat us, isn't he? I mean, he can jump out of the gym. He could, he's gonna, but can he make it all the way across the river? No. Why? Because it's physically impossible. Nobody can do it. You can't make it. It doesn't matter how hard you try. You're not going to make it over the river. That's what this verse means. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We've all sinned. I've sinned. You've sinned. Are, are you a sinner? Have you ever? Yes. Sometimes people will say no. And sometimes I'll do this. Have you ever told a lie? Yes. Often they'll say no. And, and I'll say, there's another one right there. And they laugh because they know they're lying to you. I've had this, this conversation dozens, maybe hundreds of times. And half the time, have you ever told a lie? No. And they laugh because they know it's a ridiculous statement. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So you know you're a sinner, right? I'm a sinner. All of us are sinners just telling a lie, getting mad at somebody, you know, cussing them, all those kinds of things. That's just sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Just like you and I can't jump over that river, we can't reach God's standard of perfection. The Bible says that sin is any transgression of the law. What law? The law of God. That's what sin is. And we're both sinners. So we know that we're sinners. All right? Thanks, Luke. You can be seated. I'll probably use you again in a minute. Do you see we have that written down for you? You define sin. Sin is any violation of God's law. It's breaking God's law. 1 John 3, 4 says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Now, you don't have to give the person all of that information. But if you have it in your mind so that you can think about it and be able to explain it, that illustration of the Miami River, that's such a great illustration to use. And it gets the people laughing, they're with you, they're thinking about it, and they realize there's something they can't do. They can't live up to God's perfection. All right? Now, go to Romans 6.23. All right, look at your outline. Teach him that the penalty for sin is death and hell. Teach him that the penalty for sin is death and hell. Now, notice on your outline that we have Romans 6.23a. 
Now, the, the gospel, how many of you have heard the definition for the gospel is it's the good news? Now, as it's used in Scripture, the word gospel means a word from the Lord, but it is also good news. So, here's the idea. I don't want to give the person the good news yet. I want to give them the bad news. All right? Remember, what are we doing? You can't get them saved until you get them lost. So, you might even want to put a little slash mark halfway through the verse so it reminds you to stop. But look at Romans 6.23. The Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you have that semicolon there, for the wages of sin is death. Just stop right there. For the wages of sin is death. All right, now, what we've done already is we've already established with the person, even in a joking way, that they're a sinner. I've only had one person in my entire life tell me they've never sinned. Laura was with me, and honestly, I didn't know what to do. Oh, I don't sin. You've never been mad? Nope, never been mad. And her husband's sitting across from her, and he's just looking at her. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> That's the only one time. Everyone knows that they're a sinner. All of us recognize that. How many of you, before you were even saved, knew that you were a sinner? Yeah, we just, we just know. Um, and the reason for that is God has written His law in our hearts. He's given us a conscience. We, we know. So I've, we've already established with the individual that they're lost, or that they're a sinner at least. Now what we're going to teach them is that the penalty for that sin is death and hell. So let's look at the verse again. For the wages of sin is death. Remember, read it twice. The wages of sin is death. Now if you look at your outline, we have illustration. Earning a wage. Earning a wage. Now, so I would say to the person, uh, let's see, Aaron, come on up here and help me. Aaron, you have a job? Yeah. Where do you work? Plastipack. Plastipack, all right, good. And you work how many hours a week usually? 36. About 36 hours a week. So let's imagine that you made $20 an hour. I'd like to. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. So you make $20 an hour. When you, once you're done working, you've worked your 36 hours, and after the government takes their 80%, you bring home what you have left, right? You have earned, uh, so 36 times 20, you've earned $720. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Hey, I got it right. I did a math problem. <laughs> yes, there is a God. Okay. <laughs> So you've made $720. You've earned that. That's yours. But the boss says, I'm only going to give you $400. That'd be a bummer, wouldn't it? Yeah. You'd go on strike. You'd lay down and throw a fit. You'd do whatever because you've earned that money. That's your wage. That's what you've earned. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So you admitted that you're a sinner, and I am too. What we earn for being a sinner, our wage for being a sinner, is death. God says that because we're sinners, that that's going to bring death. Now, there's two kinds of death. There's physical death, and you know what that is. Have you ever known somebody who's died? Yeah. Yeah, me too. And we're separated from them. We can't see them anymore. But there's something that's called the second death. Let me show you what it says. And so you'll turn your Bibles to Revelation 21.8. And what I would usually do is maybe put a gospel tract right there or whatever so you can get there quickly. But Revelation 21.8, look at this. The Bible says, and let me, let me stop here. I don't know if I have this on your notes. If I don't, you can write it down. Yeah, write this down 
just at the bottom of your first page there, under Revelation 21.8, when I was a kid, uh, I used to think that there's two kinds of people, good people and bad people. And I knew that there were really bad people in the world, but I wasn't one of them. I used to reach up on my dad's dresser and take some change and go down to buy ice cream. But I never flew planes into a federal building. You know, I never killed anybody. So I, I thought that, yeah, maybe I had told a, a, a fib here and there, but I wasn't really bad. Look, look what this verse says. The Bible says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters. Now that sounds like those people who blow up federal buildings and kill people. and That's really bad, isn't it? Check out what it says. And all liars. Uh-oh. Have you ever told a lie? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and that right there is where you get the answer. Right? So, so now look, the Bible groups me in with all these other people. And look what the Bible says about me. Shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second. Now, that lake that burns with fire and brimstone, what's that sound like to you? Hell. Hell, that's right. So what the Bible says is my wage, what I've earned for what I've done, is the lake of fire. That's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. You can be seated. Now, just right there, even in our illustration as we're doing it, how many of you, that was a sobering moment right there when you see that. The list that God has put me in, is one who is deserving of death. And this is such a great um, thing to remember for anybody. If you're a, a teacher, any kind of public speaker, or soul winner, always include yourself. This is not us against them. Jesus Christ died for me, and He died for you. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. All God's chillins are sinners. Is that right? We're all sinners. What God has done is He has given us the gift of eternal life. So now, where have we been? Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is any transgression of God's law. We've talked about not being able to jump across the river. LeBron James can make it farther than us, but nobody's going to make it. It's physically impossible to do that, just as it's humanly impossible to live up to God's standard of perfection. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's a penalty for that sin. The penalty for my sin is death and hell. So all of us know people have died. All of us are ultimately going to die unless the Lord returns. That's physical death. The penalty for our sin is the second death, which is hell, separation from God forever. That's the bad news, isn't it? Now, here's what I do. I will say... At that point, so at Revelation 21, 8, I'll say this. Now imagine if I close the Bible and I said, have a good day. That'd be a bummer, wouldn't it? That would be bad news. There is no hope. There's no hope. The Bible describes us as that way, without hope in the world. Without hope. Let me give you the good news. Look at Romans 5, 8. This is how I give the gospel. If I'm talking to somebody, I try to use the humor. I try to do all of that to keep the person engaged. I do have, um, if you look at your handout, there's a section there that says, if they answer no to either question, 
they're not ready to hear the good news. And then you can go to Mark chapter 10, verse 17, verses 17 through 22, and you can read through that, and that's where the Bible makes it very clear that there's nobody that's good. Okay? Why don't we take a minute and read it just so that we can see that. Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> Have any of you seen that, The Way of the Master, Kirk Cameron and uh, uh, Ray Comfort? How many of you have seen them give the gospel? I love the way that they use the law to show people that they need a Savior. It's very, very good. That's what this is here. Mark chapter 10. Look at verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. All right, so now Jesus is talking to a guy. He shows him the law, and the guy said, I've been perfect in keeping the law all my life. Interesting, isn't it? Now, already, and this is just for your understanding. I'm not going to have this conversation at the fair booth. But already the man messed up. Why callest thou me good? There is one that is good, and that is God. His answer should have been, yes, I'm calling you good because you are God. You can't, you can't be saved unless you acknowledge Jesus Christ as God. Amen? So then he gives the guy the law to demonstrate to him that he's violated God's law. This guy says, I've kept it from my youth. Verse 21, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said, said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. It's interesting, there are people who believe that if they give up everything they have, that they can go to heaven. They believe that. But that's not what Jesus said. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. What's that? Follow Jesus Christ as a disciple. You've got to get saved. All right? But he wasn't willing to do that. And he went and he was sad at that saying and went his way and went away grieved for he had great possessions. What did Jesus Christ understand in this man's heart? Well, first of all, everything. But secondly, as much as this guy said he was keeping the law, he was covetous. And Jesus Christ addressed that, and he knew that this guy would not give up everything that he had. Now, let me ask you a question. It's not a trick question. Do you have to give away everything you own to be saved? No, just to be a member of Grace Baptist Church. We're going to take an offering here in a little while. I need a new house. No. No. You don't have to. But what this is demonstrating for you and if you have a person who says that they're not a sinner, that according to Jesus Christ, we are. All of us are sinners. And that's such a great thing. Look at your outline there. Uh, Romans 3, 12, un underneath that, uh, show them Mark 10, 17 through 22. How many people does Jesus say are good? Nobody. Ask him how he treats people he doesn't like. Show them Romans 3, 12. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Isaiah 64, 6, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. There's an illustration there of a righteous judge. Imagine if someone killed your mother or killed your brother or someone very close to you, and they went before the judge. You would want that judge to judge righteously, wouldn't you? Amen? Why? Because you would want justice. 
Well, God is the ultimate righteous judge. He must judge sin and He will judge you and me righteously. And you know in your heart that you're a sinner. That's such a great illustration. James 2.10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. All of us are sinners. All of us are sinners. All right? So, now remember, that section is only if someone denies that they're lost or that they're a sinner. I said that wrong. They're not going to understand those the words lost and saved. If they deny that they're a sinner, that's where you're going to take them. Okay? Now, look at your outline. Number three, teach him that Jesus died and rose again to pay for his sin. That's Romans 5.8. Let's go there. Romans 5.8. So our order of Scripture that we're going to use is Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23a, Revelation 21.8, and then we're going to come back to Romans 5.8. Okay? Romans 5.8. Here's the good news. Remember what has happened. Let's get back on track with our plan. So I have just gone from Revelation 21.8, and I said, imagine if I closed the Bible right there and said, have a good day. That would be a bummer, wouldn't it? This is something... Uh, teaching tool for you. I worked with a lady at Sears when I was in Bible college. Her name was Bertha. And Bertha was about 6'3 or 6'4 and the black lady, one of the best salespeople I've ever seen. And I would watch her and she'd be going like this. She'd say, now you like that refrigerator, don't you? And I can't talk like a black lady, but she had this great voice. You like that refrigerator, don't you? I know that you do. Now, do you like the black one or do you like the stainless steel one? And, and she's just doing this the whole time. And she said, now, I know that you want to get a warranty on that, right? I'm going to put this down. It's $249 for three years. You've got to have that, right? And she's doing this the whole time. And I'd watch people. They're standing there. And, you know, you have this hard guy, you know, factory worker who's up in, you know, Gary, Indiana area. This, this dude's standing there. And before I knew it, he's standing there going like this. Yeah. Yeah, I do. It was hilarious. Bertha had him in the palm of her hand like that. Now, we're not trying to manipulate people with the gospel. But what we're trying to do is get past their natural defenses. And if you shake your head while you're asking a question, they know what the answer is. If you do this when you're asking a question, they know what the answer is. Now, you don't think that you're perfect, do you? <laughs> They're going to feel silly. Most people don't want to contradict you. And so all we're doing, we're not manipulating. We're trying to get past their natural defenses to get them to acknowledge the truth. We're not manipulating. Okay, it's very important that we get that. All right, so now... The reason I said that is I'm closing the Bible. That'd be a bummer, wouldn't it, if that was the end of the story? But it's not. Let me give you the good news. Look at Romans 5.8. But God commendeth His love toward us. Now, that word commendeth, that's just an old word for proved or showed. God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, what am I going to do? Teaching is repetition. The key to teaching is repetition. Is that right? The key to teaching is repetition. So I'm going to remind them. Now remember, you and I are both sinners. And we've shown that we deserve to go to hell because of our sin. What this verse says is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for me while I'm a sinner. Because I'm a sinner, Jesus Christ died for me. So I'm going to teach him some things. Now, in your outline, teach him that Jesus died and rose again to pay for his sin. So, define Jesus Christ. Define Jesus Christ. Explain that Jesus Christ is God, that he is perfect and sinless. 
Now, you understand that there are people in our community that are Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or they're from the way, and they do not believe that Jesus is God. So, if a person is grounded in that faith, they're not going to walk with you through this. But a person cannot be saved without acknowledging that Jesus Christ is God. Right? So, very important. So explain who Jesus Christ is. Then, look at your outline again. Be sure to emphasize the resurrection. Jesus is the living God. Jesus died, but He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead the third day. All right? But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But isn't it wonderful that He didn't stay dead? He rose from the dead. That's, that's the way that I say that. But isn't it wonderful that Jesus didn't stay dead? He rose from the dead. And when Jesus rose from the dead, what did He prove? He proved that He was, is, and always will be God. It's wonderful to give somebody the gospel like this. All right, look at number four. Teach him that if he will believe this and receive Jesus, God will save him. Teach him that if he will believe this and receive Jesus, God will save him. So, go to Romans 10, 13. Romans 10, 13. All right, Davey, come up here for a minute and help me out. All right, let me show you this verse. Look what the Bible says. For whosoever, you know what that means, right? Whosoever, that's anybody. That's you, me, that's anybody. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So imagine this. You're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off and you go into the ditch and you go, Oh, Jesus! Is that what that's talking about? No, that's not. I've never had anyone say that that's what that's talking about. Isn't it interesting that in a culture that is as pagan as ours, people still knows, know what it means to take the Lord's name in vain? It's very interesting. And so that illustration, it immediately takes that person away from a false calling on the Lord. All right? So you're driving down the road, and somebody cuts you off, your car goes into the ditch, you go, oh, Jesus. That's not what that means, is it? It is? It's not, it's not. Oh, okay. That's not what that means. <clears throat> for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is to call on the name of the Lord for salvation. So how do you do that? How does a person call on the name of the Lord? So, now, I don't know if I have it. I do. Go with me to 1 John 5 and verse 11. Dave McCracken taught me this. I mentioned him earlier there in Oklahoma. And this has been the most effective tool for me in giving the gospel for all these years. 1 John chapter 5. All right, look what the Bible says. Verse 11. And this is the record. Now, now watch this, folks. And this is the record. Here's what I do. I take out my pen. See? And this is the record. It's like John was taking out his pen and he was writing it down. All right? And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. See that? He's given it to us. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. What the Bible says here is there's only two kinds of people in the world. Not rich and poor, not black and white, not short and tall. There's only two kinds of people in the world. Those that have the Son of God and have eternal life. And those who don't have the Son, and they don't have eternal life. And the Bible says it's a gift. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. So you see this pen? 
This pen is cool. It's cherry burl with turquoise in it. It's a cool pen, right? Let's say I wanted to give you that pen. What do you have to do to make it yours? Just have to take it. Just have to take it. Now, in order to keep that pen, you've got to wash my car every week for the next 10 years. Oh, thank you. Why don't you want my pen? Because I have to work for it. Because it's not a gift, is it? Mm -hmm. So you can't work for a gift. Mm -hmm. Is that right? The Bible says this, He that hath the Son of God hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So there's two kinds of people, those that have the Son and they have life, those that don't have the Son and they don't have life. So now let's say that this pen is eternal life. And I want to give you the gift of eternal life. What do you have to do to make it yours? Just take it. But you can't. Because you can't have eternal life without the Son. See, it's like this. Let's say that the pen is eternal life and the Bible is the Son of God, Jesus. So now in order to take the pen, what do you have to take? Take the Bible. The Bible. The yeah, the Son or the Bible. That's exactly right. Because the eternal life is in the Son and you receive Jesus Christ as a gift. That's what Romans 10.13 is teaching. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Being saved is having the Son of God. Being saved is having eternal life. How do you get that? You receive it like a gift. Isn't that awesome? That is, I, I just love that because it's the clear teaching of Scripture with a simple illustration that's so effective. So, thanks, Davey. Um, so now, look back at your outline. Let's make sure that you have it all. Teach him, number four, teach him that if he will believe this and receive Jesus, God will save him. The illustration, the pen. In 1 John 5, 11 through 13. All right? Let's look at the rest of that. Look at verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So how do you get saved? By believing on the name of the Son of God. You believe what He said, and you receive the gift of eternal life. Now, I hope that this is that this is getting in your heart and in your soul that you can teach this to someone else. Isn't it a wonderful thing? How many of you have had your children come home and tell you that they've given the gospel to somebody at school? You ever had that? That is such an awesome thing. Well, if your children can do it, you and I can do it. Amen? All right. So now, golden key right here. Stay on track. Stay on track. Here's what's going to happen. You're giving somebody the gospel and you're about halfway through and somebody's going to come by. And they're going to say, well, I have a friend who's a Jehovah's Witness. What do they believe? And this is such a great tool. Now, this is, again, I saw David Wood do this. Say, you know, that's, that's a really good question. That, let's say that this is your question. Let's take that and set it over here for just a minute. Let's finish this. And when we're done with this, we can come back to your question. Most of the time, and, and, and just be real honest with it. And if you, want to, if you want to when we're done, we can come back to it. Most of the time, they don't want to come back to it especially if they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's a wonderful thing. Stay on track. Stay on track. You're probably thinking, Preacher, I wish that you would stay on track with this sermon. <laughs> All right. Um, now, helping someone receive Christ. Helping someone receive Christ. Number one, ask him to repeat a phrase-by-phrase -phrase prayer after you. Ask him to repeat a phrase-by-phrase -phrase prayer after you. Before we get there, I want you all to think about something. There on your outline, under number four, we have Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 listed there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Um, 
How many of you know religious people in Shelby County or, you know, Miami County or whatever county you live in around here? You know some religious people? Those people believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They also believe that their good works are going to take them to heaven. So it's important that they understand that salvation is a free gift and they cannot work for it. So here we are. We're back to receiving that free gift. I asked Davey if he wanted this pen. He said, yes. He said, you've got to wash my car every week for the next 10 years. He didn't want it because that's works. This is the way you teach this to that person. All right, you didn't want the pen because you're going to have to work for it. And yet what you believe is that eternal life is in the Son. You believe in the eternal life and you believe in the Son, but you also believe that you have to work for the gift. That doesn't make sense. Either, you, either salvation is works or it's not. What do we get for what we do? What do we get for our works? Death. The wages of sin is death. What I get for my work is hell. So it's real important that the person you're giving the gospel to understands that there's nothing they can do to go to heaven apart from repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. It's real important that, we, that you help them to see that. And this, where we are right now, is a great opportunity to teach that. All right? So, helping someone receive Christ, ask them to repeat a phrase-by-phrase prayer after you, aloud. Now, remind him that this is not a magic formula. Now, what I always say is, now, this is not an abracadabra magic formula and the gates open. This is, this is not just a, an incantation. This is a prayer that you believe in your heart. So, go to Romans 10, verse 9. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. All right. So now, what the Bible says is salvation is confession with the mouth and belief in the heart. So this prayer is the confession with your mouth. But it's not any good if you don't believe with your heart. All right. Um, For you, this is not necessarily what you would say in the booth, but for you, remember what the Bible says in... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where it's explaining the gospel. It says, Wherein ye stand, unless ye have believed in vain. What is that? That's just praying a prayer without believing with the heart. You don't want to help somebody believe in vain, do you? No. So help them to understand that just saying a prayer has never saved anybody. It's belief in the heart and confession with the mouth. That's the combination. All right? So now, here's a sample prayer. You're going to help them. You're helping them pray to God, not not to yourself. Here's a sample prayer. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And if I died right now, I would not go to heaven. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my life and save me right now. The best way I know how, I'm trusting you, Jesus, and you alone to take me to heaven when I die. I'm not trusting in my church or my baptism to save me. I believe that you are God, that you died on the cross and rose again. Thank you for going to the cross for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, go to your next page. Number two, ask him if he meant what he prayed in his heart. Did you mean it? Did you believe what you just prayed? 
Um, I, my neighbor, I went through this with uh, he and his wife. And he got done praying and he went like this. Here, let me. He went like this. He went, I feel all clean inside. Tough, 50 some year old man. It, it was unbelievable. And why? Because he believed it. He, he, he meant it in his heart. It's such a fantastic thing. Um, we have seen people. Uh, there's, there's a lady in our church whose mom, well, just, just, she's just a tough lady, and for years and years and years rejected the gospel, and she received Christ. And she's different now. You know, she's, she's not attending Grace Baptist Church and involved in soul winning. She's a different person. She received the gospel. Now, do we wish that she could get in a good, solid church and grow and all those things? Yes. But God, when He saves us, changes us. It's such a wonderful thing if, unless, you believe in vain. So what are we going to teach them right here? So ask Him if He meant what He prayed in His heart. What if I left and Jesus walked into the room and He asked you if you meant it? What would you say? Did you mean this? Did you really mean it? If they say yes, then this is the next question. Would Jesus say no? The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you ask Him, He will save you. He will save you. Did you ask Him? Yes. Do you know what? You're saved. Jesus Christ is now your Savior. Heaven is your home. Number three, help Him to have the assurance of His salvation. So now what I would say, here, who haven't I used here? Isaiah, come on up here. Isaiah with the cool shoes. All right. Isaiah. Yes. Are you sure that you're going to go to heaven now? Yeah. You ask Jesus Christ to save you? Yes. And see, what's so wonderful, here's Isaiah. Uh, was, was Isaiah born after you guys came to the church? Where's your parents? They're downstairs. Oh, they're downstairs. Were you, were you, how long have you, how old are you, 13? 14. 14? So you were already around. But you've grown up here, haven't you? Yes. And he's been through Awana. He's now in the youth group. And it's wonderful that Isaiah knows Jesus Christ as his Savior. Amen. If Isaiah asked Jesus Christ to save him, would Jesus say no? Suffer the little children to come unto me. He came to Jesus Christ as a child. Now he's a young man. That's such a wonderful thing. This is what we are trying to accomplish at the fair. Take a young man like this that Jesus Christ died for that may never have the opportunity to hear the gospel and we give him the gospel. And then, here, when we're going to teach him eternal security, Isaiah, did you ask Jesus Christ to save you? Yes. Would he say no? No. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That word shall, if it's in a legal document, the judge says you shall go to jail, guess where you're going? Yeah. You're going to jail. That's when God says you shall be saved. That's the word of God. That's true. That lasts forever. Your salvation is just as sure as God is. That's exciting, isn't it? So if you died right now, you get to go to heaven. If you die 10 years from now, you get to go to heaven. Jesus Christ is your Savior. Now, look at this. And so you saw that. Ask him if he were to die today, where would he spend eternity? Romans 10, 13. For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then look. Remind him there is not one more thing he has to do in order to go to heaven. Legalists really struggle with this. Here's what I would say to him. Isaiah, want to hear something crazy? There's nothing else you ever have to do 
to go to heaven. If Jesus Christ is your Savior, there's nothing else that you ever have to do to go to heaven. You don't have to go to church to go to heaven. You don't have to give money to go to heaven. Jesus Christ is your Savior. Is that awesome? Here's the problem. There are people who believe that if I say that to Isaiah, then he'll think, great, I'm not going to go to church. Well, that's not where you end. But here's the big problem. There are people that, that mix baptism with salvation. They mix the good works with salvation. They mix church attendance with salvation. Nobody has ever gotten saved because they go to church. You get saved when you become the church. Jesus Christ comes and lives in you. You're baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Amen? Now, there's nothing else you ever have to do to go to heaven. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Now, here's the deal, though. Because you are saved, because Jesus Christ is your Savior, He does want you to change. He wants you to live for Him. He gave you eternal life. Now, He wants you to give Him your life. Mm -hmm. There's some steps that you can take. One of the first steps is you really need to come to church. So this Sunday, our Sunday school starts at 9.30. I'd like to come by and pick you up. Now, I want you to understand that we're in our culture, and here I am, 51-year-old man, inviting a 13-year-old boy to come somewhere with me. How many of you think that's going to be a problem in our culture? So we have that all cared for. Pastor Nathan has all the information. Justin has all the information. Pastor Nathan's going to be at camp. Justin's heading it up. We have literature. And so we give them that literature. Ask your parents if it's okay for you to come to church. We get his information. We're going to call your parents and see if it's okay if we pick you up. Then we do a follow-up visit in the home, and we take care of it all very appropriately. But the next step for the believer is God does want them involved in the New Testament church. God does want them to be discipled. God does want them to grow. Amen? But there is nothing else that person ever has to do to go to heaven. All right. Thank you, Isaiah. Good job, buddy. All right. So there's the gospel. It's very simple. Let's review quickly. Number one, teach him that he's a sinner. Teach him that he's a sinner. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means we can't live up to God's standard of righteousness. The pe- number two, teach him the penalty for sin is death and hell. Romans 6.23a, uh, For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Romans 21.8, But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and adulterers and sorcerers and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now imagine if I closed the Bible right there and I said, That's it. We're done. That would be a bummer, wouldn't it? Yeah. That's not the end of the story. Romans 5, 8, number 3. But God commended His love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Teach Him. Teach Him that if you'll believe that, Jesus Christ will save Him. So now we want to teach Him to receive Christ. How is He going to receive Christ? Romans 10, 13. For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We get to go to, how do you do that? 1 John 5, 11 through 13. Only two kinds of people in the world. Not rich and poor, black and white, short and tall. It is those who have the Son of God, they have eternal life. Those who don't have the Son of God, they don't have eternal life. Only those people. How do you get the Son of God? How do you get eternal life? You can't receive eternal life without receiving the Son. And you do that by confession and belief. You have to pray, ask Him to save you, believe in your heart. If you do that, He will save you. Then lead Him in a prayer. Lead Him. Teach Him. Show Him how Jesus Christ can be His Savior. Then teach Him assurance of His salvation. And follow it up 
Get an address. Get a phone number. Find a way to get into that person's home and get them involved in the New Testament church. Isn't it a great opportunity to give people the gospel? Now look. It's very important that we understand this. God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. We really do expect any member of Grace Baptist Church, we expect you to participate in the fair ministry. We are to be God's representatives, and what a great opportunity to do that. But you know, the fair ministry isn't the only place to give the gospel. The reason we do this every year, the reason we go through this every year, is so that everyone in our church can know how to give someone else the gospel. How many of you right now, there's someone that you're thinking of, that it'd be really good for you to go through this with. Amen? You need to pray about who God would have you give the gospel to. Amen? One of the pieces of the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6 is to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What is that? That you go out every day prepared to give someone the gospel. It changes the way that you live. And being prepared, having a method having verses, having illustrations ready. It just helps you to be a prepared worker. And then what does God do? God prepares people for you to give the gospel to. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to preach it.